Some time ago, a survey was done of a group of senior adults, and that's always interesting because seniors always have an opinion like younger folks, but theirs are seasoned more. And this group of senior adults were asked a very simple question. If you could live your life over, what would you do differently? And different people, as you would expect, gave different answers, but there were two or three that just seemed to be repeated. You know, having to give a survey, there are certain opinions that just rise to the top and, and they appear, appear frequently. And so out of this survey of senior adults, three opinions were always in the list of things that senior adults listed they'd do differently if they had all to do over. One said, one of those said, I would reflect more. The other, another state was made, I would take more risks along the way. And the third answer that repeated itself was, I'd do more things that outlast me. I'd reflect more, I'd take more risk, and I'd do more about things that are going to go beyond my 70 years, 80 years on the earth. As a Christian, if you were asked those things today, what would you like to have as a do-over? How would you answer well, we're not naive. You can't go backwards. You can't go back and erase yesterday or last week or 15 years ago or that thing you did way in the past. You can't go back and erase. But here's what you do. Every Sunday, God gives you a start over. And he says it's a whole new week. And you understand every date on your calendar this week. Now, I didn't say you don't have appointments. But as far as what's actually going to be done is not yet. So, so every day on your calendar right now is as blank and clean and white as snow. And you have the pen so whatever you write across it, you can't go back and do over, but you can sure make corrections today, course corrections and attitude adjustments and, and priority adjustments. Say, I'm going to sure do different. I'm going to do different tomorrow than I did last Monday. I'm going to be different Tuesday than I was last week. And God gives us a chance to start over. One of the things that most of us don't do enough is that thing of reflection. Because when we reflect, we have to give thanks, realizing God's been mighty good to us. The Psalms, as you know, are right in the middle of the Bible, and they're songs. The reason we like them is they're, they're rhythmic, they're, psalm, they're, they're songs that were meant to be sung, but they're also very honest. In the Psalms, we find some that are about songs of praise and some songs of petition, some of confession, some of fear, some of frailty, and some, obviously, of giving thanks. One of the Psalms that's best known is Psalm 100, which is where we're going to camp today. And Isaac Watts, when he read the Psalm 100, he wrote that song, we don't sing it anymore, but when I was a boy, every Sunday, every Sunday the choir would come out and somewhere in the service they'd sing that song, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him, ye heavenly hosts. Praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well, that's what happened to Isaac Watts. I'm not sure today when you hear Psalm 100, you're going to burst out in a hymn. But I do believe if we listen to Psalm 100, we're going to burst out in a new appreciation for what God has done to us. Now, bear with me a minute because I'm old and everything back in the day when I was a young man was King James Version. They didn't know there was supposed to be any other version. And some after they came said, we're not moving. We're staying with the King James. So I memorized it in the King James. So bear with me. And here's what I heard. Make a joyful noise, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise in the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. No, know the Lord. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he that made us and not we ourselves. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. We're to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his course with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness and mercies are eternal. And his truth endures to all generations. 
And what a psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of praise. First of all, he says, and make a joyful noise is a little too weak for Baptists. Here's what the word is. Shout! That wake up somebody on the third row, fourth row, fifth row. Shout! And when's the last time you came to church and somebody shouted? We had one first hour in the altar a minute ago. Man, we've been praying for for years and saved his brother and shouted because I just preached on it and he's showing out. But, but truthfully, he was excited. His brother said, and he shouted. Now, I wouldn't recommend you at church security probably take you out. But, but you know, we're, we're a disgrace to our predecessors. You know what we were called back when we met in Brush Arbor meeting? You know what we were called? No. Shouting Baptists. You know why? A preacher preaching. 14 people. Amen. Somebody, glory. Somebody, tell it. You ever been to an African-American church? Boy, I love that. They'll pull the preach right out of you. And time you're through preaching, you're sweaty and they're sweaty and everybody had a great time meeting Jesus. When's the last time you came to a church and just heard a Baptist whisper? Amen. I didn't think so. It's like that chili. How long has it been since you had a bowl of that? It may have been too long. The Bible says, shout to the Lord. Wonder why we don't shout anymore. Well, you see, shouting is always a sign of a victory. I remember, and, I, and I'm old, and I don't deny that, but I remember when we used to have revivals. In fact, my dad, when I was a boy, would go away for two weeks. I'd start on Sunday and go to Friday night, take Saturday off, and Sunday to Friday night, and preach two-week revivals. First week was the church, get them revived. Second week was purely evangelism, go get your friends. And I remember as a young man, I remember as a young man going to church service with my dad and, 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 and somebody walked the aisle and people would be shouting. And I didn't understand all that until I got down front and folks would be circling that new brother, that new sister in prayer. And after service, the preacher in tears would say, this is Brother John, y'all know him. Churches then were much smaller. This is Brother John, y'all know him. We've been praying for him for years, haven't we? Amen. Tonight he came to know Jesus. Boy, people were tearful and shouting joy. Lord, maybe the reason we don't shout, we're not bringing, oh, may should I say that out loud? Maybe we're not bringing victories to the altar of those who've been rescued from darkness to cause us to shout to the Lord. Days past, you'd hear a word from God's word, and it's so target where your heart is, you'd hear that word to me say, Praise God! And now it's, ugh. Maybe we're not shouting because there's not that connect with the word. And when we hear it, it's far into our ears because that's really not the foundation on which we live. The Bible says shout, shout to the Lord. When you come in his presence, shout. So often people look somber and serious or sleepy. And the Bible says don't do so. You get the feeling that when people came before the Lord in the temple, there's this sound of great shouting and joy and celebration. The Bible calls, calls us often to shout. It says, Psalm 47, one and two, clap your hands, all you nations. Did you notice God didn't excuse? Clap your hands, you Jews. You're my people. You clap. No. He said to Abraham, when he blessed Father Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations will be blessed. Long before Jesus died on the cross, God had a view to the nations. And even in this psalm, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord or, or, or come before the Lord and, 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 and praise him, all ye people, all the nations, the lands of the earth. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord most high is awesome and great king over all the earth. In the book of Ezra, they had just completed or rebuilt the temple. In Ezra chapter 3, it says, with praise and thanksgiving. Imagine you've been without a place to call the house of God. And you finally see a built temple, and they wept. The old people wept because they said, it's nothing like the temple that we had of Solomon. No, it's a rebuilt version, and they didn't have the wealth they'd had in Solomon's era. 
It says in Ezra 3, when the temple had been completed with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord and said, He is good. His love toward Israel endures. All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. I remember when Joshua took Jericho, the Bible says they were to march around the city seven days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. On the seventh time, shout why the victory was the Lord's and he's about to show his mighty hand. Maybe the reason we're quieter today more subdued is because we don't in the battle enough to see the victories that cause us to come into church to shout over everything happened since last Sunday. Anybody here want to just shout about the goodness of God since last Sunday? Shh. Scripture says, Psalm 150, I love this. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Listen to this. I love this. Praise God in his saints. We praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet and the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel. Praise him with strings of pipe. And then this is mine. Praise him with the clash of cymbals, loud sounding cymbals. When I grow up, I want to be a symbolist. Did you know you can never be off key if you're a symbolist? Did you know you never can mess up and hit the wrong note if you're a symbolist? You know, symbolists, I've watched them in these organs, and they just stand. They just stand. Here's these two big symbols, right? And they just stand there watching Maestro. Everybody else is just playing their fingers down to a nubbin, and they're blowing their lungs out trying to get these instruments. And the symbolist, he's just standing there, but he's waiting because that moment's coming. You know, the big crescendo, the moment when everything is going up with all, all, all the flutes and the strings and the trumpets and the brass and the drums in there, all just built. And he's just, he just standing. He's just watching. I, I think I could do that. And then in that moment when it's all to that perfect pitch, that perfect place, suddenly the maestro gives that stroke of the, of the wand, and he goes, crash! It's just perfect. Isn't that something? The Bible says praise him with symbols. I remember when you couldn't have symbols in a Baptist church. I remember when you couldn't have drums in a Baptist church. But then we were not Old Testament people. We just read the New Testament. And then some God said, listen, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And some of those don't have breath, teach them how to praise the Lord. He said, Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rocks would cry out. Wouldn't that have been so? Wonder how many rocks are they, tenor, bass, what are they? The Bible says, praise the Lord. That's the admonition. Well, then he says this, serve him with gladness. You know, Scripture says, come, come before the Lord. It's an invitation. Service is part of worship, but worship connotes service. One reason too many people don't serve the Lord, we hadn't seen God. You understand, every time somebody met God, God told them something to do. I love Blacka because he said, you know if it's God, you know if God spoke to you, you know it was God, and you know what he told you to do. How many of you this week know what God wants you to do? How, how, how many? D did you do it? When Isaiah met the Lord, God asked, who, who am I going to send? When Jeremiah met the Lord, he said, you go to the nation. I'm too young. He said, don't say you're too young. Every person who met the Lord, he said, go. And he, Peter, James, and John, he said, go. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you, go. What are we doing? It says, serve him with gladness. You know, there's a verse that says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's not always true. Some say, oh, my, I'm so sad. We got to go back to church. I'm mad. We got to go back to church. The Bible says, when you serve the Lord, it ought to be with gladness. Why? Because you're mindful of who he is. The scripture says when we serve him with gladness, it's the call of God in the Old and New Testament. Romans chapter 12 says this. Paul had to be hurting. Bless his heart. He's an old man. The Bible says he's barrel-bodied and bird-legged and had a crook nose. 
not a very pretty sight. And now he had scars, been beaten with rods and whipped and stone left for dead, day and night in the deep, thrown in every prison that existed along the roads he traveled. You know, he came to the end of his life, Romans so you think? He said, boy, whatever you do, don't serve this Jesus. Good night, all it's got me is pain and agony. I, I'd give anything, I'd just stay with Jews. I'm somebody of Judaism, and boy, I, I've, just, I've just got nothing. That's not what he said. You know, he said at the end of the journey, Romans chapter 12, I beg you. You ever been with somebody who just really looked at you in pleading eyes and said, would you please? Would you please? Here's Paul the Apostle. Would you please? I beg you, brothers. And I'm appealed to the highest court by the mercies of God. Present, now look at this, present your bodies. Where's your body been this week? What's your body done this week? What have you done with your bodies? How did you use it to serve God? He said, would you present your bodies? And we so often honor martyrs, and it does take courage to literally say, they're going to cut off my head, but I'm not going to deny Jesus. That takes courage, but I tell you what takes a lot of courage. You get up every morning and say, God, today I want to die to me to be made alive to you. I'm willing to sacrifice all my desires that I may please one and that you let me today be your faithful servant. What would you have me do? He said, would you present your bodies on the altar as a living sacrifice? Now, it's not just any old body. Don't think you just waltz in and say, I'll serve you. What are you going to do? But I got several things I got to do for you. I'll get with you. No, no. He said, when you come to God and present your body as a living sacrifice, better be holy. Why? He didn't take junk. He didn't want your leftovers. He didn't want to say, if I have time, then forget it. If you can't give him your best, then something else is your God. You understand that? Whatever you say, I'm going to do this first, then there's your deity. Whatever you put before your obedience, there's your idol. The Bible says, listen, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, and listen, acceptable, not in your eye. Well, I, I think I'm okay. He didn't say you're acceptable to you. Well, my mama said I'm okay. You don't have to, you're not even acceptable to your mama. Well, my friends say I'm okay. It's not your friend's judgment that counts. It's just acceptable to God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart from the world, set apart to him. One that when God sees, he says, that's good. Present your bodies acceptable to God. Now listen, this is bizarre. Which is your reasonable, pardon me? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holding something, which is your reasonable service of worship. Can I ask you a question? You, you came in this morning to church. How many of you took time? I know you, walk, you probably got a shower last night this morning. You combed your hair. You got women got your face all dolled up. Got on the clothes, looked nice. Did you spend as much time getting your soul right as you got your body right? Imagine, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm capable. I don't mean this. But, but, but may I ask you, did you spend so much time just getting up and getting ready that you rushed into here and there's been no time to prepare the soul? And you wonder, I just don't, I don't seem to get anything out of church. Hmm. Scripture said, I was glad when they said to me, you know, some say, well, I was mad. I, I can't believe we got to go back. Some say, well, I'll tell you right now, I'm sad. It seemed like every time I turn around, I have to go to church. I was glad. Why? Because I'd go one more time to present myself to the God who gave me grace. And the Bible says, when you come into his presence, here's what he said, serve the Lord with gladness. It means we walk in his ways and we love him and we keep his commandments. You understand, we worship him out of love, not out of fear. If you've ever traveled around the world and see all those little idols people have on their, their shelves, those are little demons. 
And they're worshiping them, not out of love, but say, if we can appease them with a gift of a crop or a, a gift of some goat or we appease them with some offering, maybe they won't destroy our children. Maybe they won't let a plague hit our crops. Maybe they won't let disease heat me. I, I'm trying my best to appease you. Don't hurt me. That's not how we came in here. The Bible says when you come in the presence of God, you come with sound of singing and joy. Why? Because we worship him because he loves us. Come into his presence with singing. How do you respond when you go into somewhere that's just absolutely awe-inspiring? I've been in a few of those. One or two of those were churches, and nobody has to say, shh. Just walk in and just feel a sense of awe. I, I, it's not a church, and it's not reverential, but going to the Supreme Court building in the United States, maybe just have a sense of awe, knowing what all have been tried in there. Going in the rotunda of the capital of the United States of America, I just stood there and looked at those, all those pictures we now deny, those massive, massive paintings on the wall, four of the six depict Christian history, and we now say we are not a Christian nation, so somebody's lying. And I stood under that rotunda and thought of all the thousands and thousands of people that have come through there and all the people that walked through there, and there was a sense of hush. When you come into the presence of God, you know what he said? Come before me singing. Why? Because sometimes we come in whining. And sometimes we come in complaining, and sometimes we come in fussing, and sometimes we come in in such a rush, we're in and out. He said, listen, you go home to my presence. Come in singing. That's what it says. Serve him with gladness and come before the Lord with singing. It's a privilege to be in his presence. Why? We've been invited there, and being his presence is profound. And when we enter, we ought to enter sense of praising him. You know this in Psalms. It says when the people of God were on their way up to Jerusalem, because wherever you go, you got to go up. It's in the mountains. And when they'd be walking up to Jerusalem for feast days and festivals or times of special sacrifice, when they walk just like you on your car radio or your phone, you're listening to something to break so you don't have to just think of the monotony of the miles. Imagine you're having to walk, and you're in a group of people, and all you're doing is walking. And they have to, how many miles we go to? I don't really keep walking. So what would they do? They'd sing together on their way up to get their mind off the pain of their feet and the length of the journey. In Psalm 113 to 118, we call the Hallel, means praise. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hallel means praising when they walked up. They sang Psalm 113 to 18, 118. The Bible says when you come before the Lord, some have said this very psalm probably was a psalm. Once they got inside of the temple, they began to sing. Make a joyful noise. Can you see it in the future? Here's these guys out in the farm, and they've lived as peasants most of their life. Here's a guy that raised sheep or cattle or a carpenter or a guy that works with some other uh, means of making pottery, and he works with his hands, and they got nothing, and they suddenly come to Jerusalem, and here's 40 acres of a temple complex and beautiful white marble structure that was designed so that if you come over the Mount of Olives and see it when the sun is rising, they'd hide their face because the gold and the white marble would blind you, and so you literally enter with a sense of awe. And as they're going in, they're saying, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Everybody, we're, we're, we're here. We're, we're about to enter his gates. Now start singing. I wonder when, when you come to before God today, you've had the sense of awe. When you entered this place, they just, just one moment say, God, I, you mean I'm getting to meet with you with all my friends today, your children? We're going to get to have time with the Heavenly Father. The Bible says, when you come before his presence, know the Lord, he's God. It doesn't mean we know him intellectually only. It means we know him and acknowledge for him for who he is. I remember when a nation called America knew the Lord. For some reason we think we can thumb our nose at him and not be punished. 
I'm asked on occasion, do you think God's going to judge America? What do you think this is? So often when we think about offending God, the truth is we've forgotten who God is. We, di we didn't mean to. We just got so blessed as children we began to feel entitled. And the Bible says, know the Lord, he's God. Listen to what he said when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Sinai. Exodus 20, God spoke these words to Moses. I am the Lord. It's capital O, capital L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the word Yahweh. It's the word that God spoke at the burning bush when Moses said, we got many gods in Egypt. Who are you? What's your name? And he said, you tell them, I am. And here he says, I am, and it's repeated, the Lord, I am the I am, your God. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? The Bible says, know the Lord. We, we've forgotten. The first thing our tax dollars do is teach young people, there is no God. You, you're just a part of a process of evolution. You started at nothing, you're heading to nothing, and we wonder why they wipe each other out. We wonder why there's such violence. If I don't realize I have a, a responsibility to a higher power, then obviously I can do what I want to, and I'm pretty miserable. Paul says, no, the Lord is God. Buddha's not God, I'm sorry. Though millions are trapped in Buddhism, he's not God. The Allah of Islam is not God. God is not asking his people to kill others in his name on purpose. Uh, Krishna is not God. Mother Earth is not God. Those women feminists who want to worship Sophia, the goddess, I'm sorry, you've got a false God. He says, know the Lord. Do you? See, the word is not, do you know who he is intellectually? It means, have you experienced him? Could, could you give a testimony? I, I know the Lord. When somebody says, Pastor, do you know the governor? I say, no, I know who he is. Do you know him? No. But some of you do because you say, I've been with him. I, I helped him get elected. I know who he is. We've, we've had dinner together. I know him. And I ask many people, do you know Jesus? Well, I think so. Then the answer is no. Because if you know somebody of that magnitude, you say, absolutely, I, I know him. Augustine of Hippo was one of the great early church fathers. It was Augustine who was seeking to help people understand this God we serve is not an, in spiritism. Spiritism says God's in that wood, God's in that railing, God's in that drum, God's in that keyboard, God's everywhere. It's spiritism. Some believe in pantheism. There are all kinds of gods. He said no. And Augustine used an analogy when he wrote these words. I asked the earth about God. I asked the earth about God, and they answered me, I'm not God. The earth said, I'm not God, and whatsoever in it made the same confession. I asked the sea and the deeps and the creeping things, and they answered me, we're not your God. Seek above us. And I asked the fleeting winds and the whole air with his inhabitants, answer me, we're not God. And I asked the heavens, the sun, moon, and stars, and or say they, are we the God that you seek? And replying to all these things which stand so round about the doors of my flesh, answer me concerning this God, since you are not him, answer me something of him. They cried out together, he made us. It was a psalmist who would write in Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, you know we live too fast. We got so much. In fact, some of you today are saying, boy, I sure hope this is short because i got to get on a plane. i got to go grandma's house. i got to go mother's house. I mean, you're already planning in the afternoon. Your body's here. Your mind's not always here. And, and at night, we have things. Now that we have lights at night, we do all kinds of things. Night in biblical times, not so much because it was too hard to see. But imagine being a shepherd. 
And all day long, you watch sheep graze. Now, you're watching to make sure they're not predators, but, I mean, how hard is it to watch sheep eat grass? And that's why David had a harp, and then he had a sling. And I, no telling how many rocks he'd thrown at trees and bushes, saying, I wonder if I can get that from here. So when he stood before Goliath, it just second nature. Loaded rocks said, I've been practicing all my life for this moment. But you know, at night, you're sitting out there with the sheep, and it's dark, and it's quiet. And he began to look up at all that God had created, and he was overwhelmed now. Listen what the psalmist wrote. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made man rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild and birds of the sky and fish of the sea that swim in the seas. And Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The Bible says, enter his gates. Can you imagine? You know, gates are amazing. Some of you have been those places like I have in antiquity, and gates could be huge. They might be 25 feet tall and thick, and you couldn't open one man. It'd take men pushing on them or pulling to close them, pushing on them to open a gate. It was designed to make you have a sense of awe, the mighty people that are behind this wall or this gate. And so in the temple, you didn't have a gate. You had gates. You had one major one on, each, on, uh, on every side, but you had multiple gates to enter. And then when you come in the gates, you go through other gates. In biblical times, Gentiles could not go into the temple because we weren't Jews. And so they had a place that you could come in this far, and then there was a wall with a gate, and it threatened you. If you go beyond this, you will be killed, and you brought it on yourself because you didn't heed this warning. That would make you feel welcome, wouldn't it? What if we told every guest that wasn't a Christian, excuse me, if you're not a Christian, you've got to wait in the foyer. We're about to have church and meet God. You're not allowed to come in here while we meet God. You wait out there. That was a real welcome to God's seekers, wasn't it? People made God hard to access. And then not only was it a court of the Gentiles, it was a court of the women. And forgive me, ladies, but Jesus set you free. Because in biblical times, women were property. You bartered for a woman to get her as your bride. You paid for her. And then her job was to run the household. But truthfully, in a court of law, women could not give testimony in a court of law because you weren't credible. Think of what Jesus did for you. In the resurrection, who were the first ones to the tomb? The Bible says early in the morning, the women went to the tomb to anoint a dead man, and he broke the appointment because he had already been raised from the dead, and an angel met them. And when they ran back to tell the men, what's the first thing the men said? That's not possible. Why? You bunch of women, you're not credible. And they took off to the tomb and saw it just as the, just as the women said, imagine that. See, women were not allowed to have the same level of honor as a man so you had the court of the gentiles enter that gate and then you enter the gate of the women if you're a woman by the way is in the court of the women jesus was watching one day from the court of the israelites the holy jews of god who followed the law and kept the holy days he was standing at the wall evidently when the little widow woman came into the room and put two little pieces of coins are smaller than a dime and dropped them in a big old trumpet that went down to a gathering box for offerings. She dropped two little mites, and there are people everywhere. You wouldn't hear that, but he did. And while he stand in the court of the Jews, looking across the court of the women, he said, did you see that? And so I said, what? That, that, that offering. What offering? Because normally when the rich people came through, and they dropped it in this, they had a box with a trumpet coming up, and, and you drop that big money in there, and it'd ring all the way down. And they'd say, ooh, there's Simon. Listen to how much money he gave. This woman dropped two little mites, not the size of a dime. She said, did you see that? 
By the way, do you know what? He knows everything you think, say, and do. Did you see that? Said, see what? That woman? What woman? That little woman right there that bent over a little widow. You see her? Yeah, she just gave more than anybody in this whole place. 40-acre complex, the temple. She gave more than anybody in the house. Goodness, she doesn't look like she's got anything. She gave all she had. Where'd that happen? In the court of the women. So you got the court with a gate for the Gentiles, a gate with a court for the women. Then you got a gate with a court for the called the holy men of Israel, those who really tried to follow the law and obey the law and be God-seekers and be obedient. So this was the men. And then there was a fourth court, which was the gate that entered for the priest. The Bible says when you enter his gates, you need to do it with thanksgiving. You see, when you give thanks, it honors God. When you give thanks, it refocuses your direction. When you give thanks, it refreshes your relationship with your Father. And when you give thanks, it reinforces your faith. The Bible says you're to give thanks and bless his name. If I say this wrong, please forgive me. I don't, it's a mistake of my head, my incapability, not of the heart, because my intentions are right. Two weeks ago when we met in this place, and you and all the people who planned that day of recognition for the garlands, you overwhelmed us. Your kindness and words of thanks and hugs and tears and notes you've sent in the mail, you, it's been overwhelming. When you served with, when you've gotten to serve the Lord for 33 years and seen God do marvelous things, you're grateful to Him. But when the people express and some can't express because our hearts are full, you say, Pastor, I can't say it, but just give you a hug, say, I love you. It's overwhelming. This is not a fair comparison, so please understand it's the weakness of the servant, not blasphemy. But when you all did all you did for us and said all you've said and given all you've given to show us kindness, you blessed us. I'll never forget it. But I learned something. Forgive me, it's a bad illustration, best one I got. I got just a little taste of what it must be for the Heavenly Father when His children come before Him and just bless His name. You said so many things. Pastor, you stood with us in this death. You helped us when our marriage was in trouble. You prayed for our teenager when they were wayward. You buried my father. Pastor, you were there when we went through a time of real struggle with a job. You, and they started listing all these things. And I thought... That, that's the way we pray. Father, thank you. You didn't give up on me. <laughs> thank you. You didn't turn away from me when I came to you every day. Any time of the day, you were always available. Thank you that you forgave me. Thank you that you empowered me. Thank you that you gave me the privilege of being a pastor. Thank you for the victories I've gotten to see of life. Thank you for your abundant mercy. Thank you for the filling of your spirit. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for snatching me as a boy to claim me as your own and to use me in a lifetime of service. You know how you bless God. When's the last time you just had a thank fest with God? It may have been too long. When's the last time you got in a room and closed the door? You said, God, I don't need a thing. 
Look at me. I've got more than I could even enumerate. If I start to count my blessings, I, I'm going to have a hard time, but I'm going to give them my best shot. Thank you, God, for life. Because if you hadn't given me life, I wouldn't be here. Thank you for life everlasting. If you had let me know you, my life would have been wasted. Thank you for goodness to me with a wife and my children. And thank you, God, for health and strength. And thank you for providing a job so we have food on the table and a roof over our head. Thank you for a people of God with whom I've gotten to associate that hold me accountable. And I've been able to hold them accountable with the word of God. Thank you for the word which has lapped to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for the power of your spirit who dwells us and gives us and strengthens us to use those gifts. And thank you today for the opportunity to share with that man and visit with that person and pray for that one. And God, thank you that you took me by the hand when I was wayward and you led me like a little boy. When's the last time you just had a thank fest? I don't need anything. I'm not asking for anything. The Bible says when you come before the Lord, bless his name. What does that mean? Enumerate the many, 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 many things God is and has done. And before long, your own relationship is renewed. Why do you do that? Because the Bible said he's good. You know, that's his inherent nature. He just can't help himself. He's just good. He was good in the beginning. He's good now, and everything he ever made is good. The Bible says, first of all, you ought to praise him. He's the only person in your life that's always consistently good. Do you know if you did a bank background check on God, he'd come back spotless? I mean, he's not sort of good, kind of good, sometimes good, been good lately. The nature of God is he's good. Paul said his love is everlasting. It's the word, word is really loving kindness. It comes from the word hesed in Hebrew. You remember a miracle of Jesus when he was near the temple and was at the pool of Bethesda. Beth means house. House, Beth, hesed means house of mercy. We have a hospital in Maryland called the Bethesda Naval Hospital. Old Testament word, pool right out of Jerusalem. Some of you stood there with me. There was a man sitting there, been sick for 38 years. Jesus asked him the strangest question I thought when I was a boy. When Jesus saw him, that Jesus was 30-something, and here's a man 38, so he'd probably seen him every time he'd gone to the temple. Guy sitting in the same place for 30 years. Can you imagine? A beggar because you're never going to get better and just sitting there. Every day the same. Family might move you in at night, get you out of the cold, but they put you right back, and here you sit every day just hoping for somebody to give you an arm. That's your life. 38 years. That's what Scripture says. Jesus asked him the strangest question. You know what he asked him? Do you want to be whole? You know, I've met people don't. <laughs> I met people don't want to be well physically. Why? I just like to tell people how bad I am so they'll show me some sympathy. <laughs> I don't want to be whole spiritually. I like sin. I don't have any intention of turning my back on what I've been. I like what I am. Jesus asked a real point question Do you want to be different? You want to be whole? Scripture says his loving kindness, isn't that good? His loving kindness is eternal. But we've sure given him plenty of opportunities to cut us off, hadn't we? Well, what if he said, I already talked to you about that yesterday. I'm done. There's seven billion people down there on earth that want my attention, and you're coming back for that? Leave me alone. What if we were so wayward as it was true in the days of Jeremiah? Three times God told Jeremiah, don't intercede for Israel. Get up off your knees. I'm not listening. The Bible says his loving kindness is eternal. And his faithfulness is true and endures through all generations. God's faithfulness doesn't change with cultures. It doesn't change with the winds of the Supreme Court rulings. It doesn't change with the whims of political correctness. 
His loving kindness is eternal. His truth endures. You and I are going to have a chance this week to give thanks. And the reason we give thanks is time to go back and just reflect and say, God, goodness, you sure have been mighty good to me. One of my favorite writers is Max Licato. He's written more books than most people could read. He's amazing. And I'm just reading this to you because just like I like him. Max Licato, before he was a pastor in America and a writer, he was a missionary in Brazil. And this is a story from one of his days as a missionary in Brazil. He writes these words. He tells about his life as an American in Brazil. One day he was walking along the street on his way to the university where he taught a class. He felt a tug. If you've ever been in a third world country, that's not unusual. Children are always coming to pull your pant leg asking for a gift. A little boy was pulling his pant legs and he turned around and saw a little boy about five or six years old with dark beady eyes and a dirty little face. The little boy looked up at the big American and said, Payo, senor, bread, sir, bread, sir. Max Lucado said, there are always little beggar boys in the streets of Brazil. Usually, I just turned away from them. There's so many and you can't feed them all. There's something about this little boy that was so compelling. I just couldn't turn away. And so taking his hand, I said, come with me. And I took him into a coffee shop nearby. And I told the owner, I want a cup of coffee. And you give the boy a piece of pastry and I'll pay for whatever he wants. Coffee counter was at the other end of the store. And Lucado said, I walked over and got a cup of coffee and forgot about the little boy. Because normally, beggar boys, when they get the bread, go out the door and run out in the street and disappear in the crowd. This little boy is different. After he received the bread, he went over to where Lakato was standing, waiting on his coffee, and just stood there. Lakato wrote, I turned and looked at him, and he was standing tall as he could stand. His eyes came just about my belt buckle. Slowly, his eyes came up and met mine. The little boy holding his pastry in one hand looked up and said, Thank you, sir. Thank you so very, very much. Lakato continued, I was touched by the boy's thanks. I would have bought the whole store and given to him if I could have. I sat there at a table drinking my coffee for over half an hour. I was late for my class by the time I finally got up to leave. I just couldn't get that little beggar boy off of my mind. He came back to say, thank you. Is it possible we're like spoiled children? They've got so many toys in every corner. We can't wait to get the store to get another one because these bore us now. Have we received so much from the hand of God that we forget daily our daily bread that is a gift from the hand of the Master? Some years ago, I got to go to Cambodia to work with Henry and Mary Tran early in their work there, and they went to these villages, still do. And I forget one day, we were running late. We'd had difficulty getting to this one village, and it was raining, and boy, the roads there are not good when it's dry, but they sure weren't through the good that day and it had been raining and where we were standing was muddy and Henry in his marvelous way shared the gospel in the language of the people and they understood it many came to know Christ and he said which is true we had sent ahead they had sent ahead and they had bags of rice 25 pound bags of rice and 10 boxes of ramen noodles in a plastic bag and everybody there and there was a pretty good crowd of people there where we stopped because they knew they were going to get food everybody there would get a 25 pound bag of rice for the family and 10 boxes of ramen noodles and I said, well, that's good, but what does that mean to them? He said, that's over a month's food for a family of four. 
I stand up there in the mud and I just heard Henry share in the language of people the gospel and see many of them when he said, would you like to pray to receive Christ? And they did and he prayed for them and gave them some helps that would help them. I was in a position where I would take the rice and put it in the hands of the person and then Henry would give them the ramen noodles and I'd get to say they didn't understand me, but I'd smile and bow and say, God bless you to everyone because I wanted the blessings of God to rest on them. God knew what I was saying, whether they knew it or not. I'd been handing out several of those big old bags of rice and this sweet little lady, I don't know how old she was. She looked, I'm sure, older than maybe she was, but she was somewhat stooped and her face deeply wrinkled, had three teeth. And when she smiled, you see gums and three teeth. And when she got to where I was, she had on flip-flops. It was muddy. I was sliding, and I saw her in flip-flops, and I thought, I'm about to give her a 25-pound bag of rice. I'm terrified she'd fall. I found out some of those people walked 20 kilometers to get to where we were. They're going to have to go 20 kilometers back with a 25-pound bag of rice, some on their heads and some on their backs. And this little lady standing there and bending over, just say, put it on my head, and I couldn't bring myself to do it because it's so slippery. I thought, goodness, if she falls, I'm going to feel awful. So I backed up, and she felt like I wasn't going to give her the rice, and she became anxious. And I said, Henry, tell her I'm not taking it away from her, but I'm going to get one of these young people to take it over there to her bicycle, and they can put it on her seat or some way put it on the handlebars, and she just push it home. And so he explained to her, and a moment one of the students came over, and I put the 25-pound bag of rice in a young man's arms, and Henry put the bag of ramen noodles on top of the bag, and they put it over on her bicycle. And when she had received the rice, I bowed and I said, God bless you. And she took my hand and she kissed it with those lips and gums for rice. <laughs> I got back to my room that night. And I fell on my face. I said, dear God, dear God, can you ever forgive me? I've got more than I can even do stuff with. I got, I'm trying to find a way to store it because I've got so much stuff. I've eaten so much. I'm swelled in the middle, swelled in the middle, and these people are begging for rice. I've got a heat and air at home that's wonderful for me, and they live in a hut. <laughs> I fuss if I have to wait in line 10 minutes for a table, and they walk 25, 20 kilometers. Get back of rice. Can you ever forgive me? I think sometimes the reason America's forgotten God, for some reason we think we did it. We made all this wealth. We found a continent that was protected by oceans for years and not our northern or southern neighbor for many years had any reason to go to war with us. When you're in other countries, that's not the case. It was God who gave us every resource known to man, so we were not dependent necessarily on many nations for much. It was God who made our fields fertile and gave us more to eat that we get so much to eat we could feed the nations. It's God who gave us founders who were smart enough to say, if God doesn't build a house, it will not stand. We've forgotten somebody awfully important. Thanksgiving's a time to go back and say, wait a minute, who have we left out of the equation? Cut on the TV and let's see another ball game. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Who we left out of the equation? Come on. What time's that turkey going to be ready? Wait, 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 wait. Who did we leave out of the equation? 
We can't change last week. We can't change a year ago. But today starts a brand new week with God. Know the Lord, He's God. He made us, we didn't make Him. We're the sheep of His pasture. Surely the least we can do is enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. Bless His name. The Lord's good. His mercy is eternal. And His truth, don't let the PC crowd fool you. His truth endures forever. Would you pray with me? Maybe there are folks here today that need to make a commitment to Christ, but I want to talk to the family of God for just a minute. I'm a part of you. I don't think we mean to be disrespectful or ungrateful. We just get so busy. And we're so eager to make that next appointment, get that phone call in and answer that email and follow up on that text, get it all done, hopefully so we can be home a little while before we've got to go to bed and do it all again. That somewhere in there, God... God maybe gets pushed to the side. It's not we're necessarily ungrateful. We just don't take time to be grateful. We, we don't mean to be rude. We, we don't mean to fail to say thank you to somebody that's done nice things to us. We just get busy. Oh, I never did, I never did tell you thank you. Can I ask you, have you gone some time before you just, have you gone some time before you really truly just had a time with God to just say thank you? We're so busy asking, bless me and help me and preserve me and heal me and that we forget to say thank you. You did heal me. Thank you when my child was wayward, you brought him home. Thank you that when my daddy was sick, you healed him. Thank you that when mama died, you comforted us. Thank you when we really needed that job, you opened the door. And thank you for giving us income to provide a house over our, a roof over our head. Thank you. When's the last time you just had a thank fest? We don't mean to be ungrateful. We don't mean to fail to bless your name, God, and count all your blessings. We just get busy. Maybe that's why the Bible admonishes us. Would you just be still? It's hard for us. Would you just be still and know God? Maybe this morning some of you just need to take a little time and just say, God, thank you. You've blessed us in so many ways we can't even enumerate. Well, take a shot at it. Maybe this morning and begin Thanksgiving as a pre-Thanksgiving preparation. Begin to try to think today and tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of a different list, different categories of the blessings of the Almighty. Don't fail to mention salvation. Please don't fail to mention that while you were still afar off, He came after you. Don't forget that when He saved you, He filled you with His Spirit and He sealed you to the day of redemption. Please don't leave that out. Maybe today there's someone in the room say, Brother Nick, I really can't thank God as I ought. I, I don't know God. I came because a friend invited me. Well, you know what? Your friend invited you because they love you. And they know God loves you. And they know the most meaningful relationship in life is not an earthly friendship. It's a heavenly one where you come to know Christ as your Savior. He loved you for what the world was. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you. You say, I don't know him. Why don't you step out in a moment when we stand to sing? Maybe bring your friend with you. 
Just put your hand in the hand of a pastor and here's all you got to say. I need Jesus. There may be somebody in the room who say, Brother Nick, I can't enter Thanksgiving thanking God. I don't know him. Well, why don't you come this morning and say, that's what I, I need. I, I need the Lord. You say that to one of our pastors, they'll share with you how you can know him. Maybe some of us just need to take time to pray and earnestly pray and just thank God for his goodness. That's what the Bible says. How would you enter his gates today? With thanksgiving. How'd you come to the court of worship with praise? What's on your lips right now? Bless his name for the Lord's good. Father, we love you. You sure are amazing the way you love us. You didn't cut us off or put us on the side or neglect us. You've always blessed us. And so today, please accept the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable in your sight as we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing together. If you need to come.